and welcome to Resolve, an after-play show. This is an after-show for a role-playing game that does not have an actual play, where we tell you all the details of our game, so you'll have to listen to it. Hi, I'm Sammy, I'll be your host. My pronouns are she, her, and I play Assyria Moly, the Hope of the Abyss. Joining me today is my wonderful co-host, Alex. Hi, I'm Alex. I play the Malboro Juice and his mule companions, the Smogs. All of us use he, him pronouns. We are joined today by Daniel. Hey, my name's Daniel. I use he, him pronouns, and I'm the game master for this campaign. Alright, welcome! Thank you for joining us today. Now that we're all here, Alex, why don't you tell us about the actual play? Previously, in a feat, Smog transforms the world car into a submarine. Geyser leaves her abandoned seaweed at the empty snack stand. Pony and Tao locate and retrieve the cave flowers. Tao eats a flower and notices that the cave has a ceiling. They think all the racers will be needed to escape through it. Geyser makes a magical channel so the other racers can follow the party on their trip to investigate the rumbling underfoot. During the race, Siri boosts the sub with an abyssal current and Pony drops some psychoglass in the engine. The manticore appears, taking another path, which Siri tricks the other racers into following with the butterfly illusion. A butterfly appears ahead of the manticore and Siri attempts to toss juice at it, but he misses, landing in Patrick and Horton's car. Geyser eats a flower and warns the party of lava below and picking up too much speed to exit the hole safely above. Geyser and Asiri counteract the hurricane whipped up behind the racers while Tao uses an ice breath to quell the lava. The illusion breaks and the party heads through a hole to find a starry sky with a ringed gaseous planet in the distance. They notice a sleepy stone giant as other racers find a slower path up. Smog calls a chocobo to wake the giant, causing them to release the world core. As Tao tries to retrieve it, the governance strikes. So now that you've heard the actual play, let's do a deep dive into the session. Good morning from the world of the lost. Let's cause some chaos today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like how we all woke up and was like, all right, let's do the most insane shit possible. It does make sense. You all were seeing through the cracks about some of the odd things happening in this world. The focus was not so much about winning this race. It's about getting to the heart of what this world is. We already had the competition world. You already had a competition world as well. This is one of the rare instances where we get the title drop immediately. This is true. (laughs) Yeah. One of Geyser's first questions were, what did I do with the giant pack of seaweed that she had just finished drying out? Upon finding out that, yeah, still there, it was kind of decided that, yeah, all of the remaining seaweed just kind of get deposited (laughs) into one of the canteen tents that were at the camp. I'm just imagining, like, when we get this all sorted, people gathering around to get giant bundles of seaweed. Nice after-battle snack. Yeah, I think people are going to be a bit hungry, at least, so it's good that they have some food on hand. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like a a race to bring us all together around the delicious seaweed. (laughs) Yeah, delicious taste of dried seaweed. We'll get more into it later, but I am kind of worried about these people possibly wanting to leave immediately. (laughs) Yeah... (laughs) Slash what's going on with all the other people still Mm -hmm. in the world. The people are still living in that world. They're very much real people, but now they kind of have to deal with the fact that their surroundings are completely different from what they thought they were. Gosh, now I'm just stuck. There's a song that I always want to use in all of my fucking character playlists because it's (laughs) sketchy. Shelter. I think it was a Maddion and Porter Robinson collab. And it has a really cool, like, spacey music video about an older brother sending a child into space while the world is getting blown up. Oh, good. (laughs) Oh, I think I know what you're talking about, actually. Um, Yeah. Add it to the soundtrack for for the worlds. (laughs) Yeah, I might, because this is one that I'm still kind of trying to figure out for at least the, the playlist. But I was trying to think, like, why is there such a diverse array of people here in an illusion that's keeping them in place? And all I can think of is, like, something wants them there for their own protection. This world, it was an illusion, but it's not just a type of magic that someone cast in order to trick people or deceive. It's actually kind of 
unique in that this world is a dream. It's a dream of the stone giant that, when woken up, made the illusion of the world disappear. What I wanted to incorporate in this world is a little bit of a discussion on people's connections to each other across vast distances. The illusory part of the world of motion is seemingly infinite. It allows for an intersection of all different walks of life. And this could be different cultures. This could be what I've had here is also people from what seem like different times, or at least from different scenarios where their situation acts completely different from someone else's. But through the act of travel are able to encounter one another in at least a shared goal. So the specifics of that, it's like a type of magic. It's probably best that it never goes fully explained, but it's a little bit like world travel in itself, except it's all within a single world, if that makes sense. Yeah, you've like created the ultimate liminal space. <laughs> That's really what I wanted to tackle. Everyone is constantly moving. They have a home. They have a place in the world. It's their home. But in order to connect with others, it requires the act of motion. Any substantial gathering is going to be through the act of traveling. Would you say that you were inspired by DreamWorks? <laughs> My dream works. Um, <laughs> that is what I had planned all along. The dream certainly works. Kind of talking about that, like how does the dream work? I kind of wanted to have that way that you can interact with the dream be through motion. Having everyone together moving as fast as possible breaks down the simulation as it were. It's almost like lucid dreaming, when you realize that you can take control of the illusion, if you will, that your mind presents you and be able to alter things for yourself. It's like what is able to actually wake up the dreamer in that case. It sort of makes things difficult to catch up on. I think that metaphorical air is really where it helps like connect with Pony for me, because you have Pony's distance from her own dreams that's centered here seeing Glory Mane trying to pick a slightly different path and trying to figure out where she's going from there. This was the world that I had the most sort of focus on Pony with. I did want to have that aspect of also a goal that's kind of always out of reach. Pony wanted to become a unicorn, but never could because that's just not how it worked. But there was still that motivation to emulate that somehow or to at least match the level of prestige and ability that came with being someone like that. And that led Pony down to a road of having to constantly travel through wilderness in order to find that out. And I think that's appropriate, because, and granted, I only really remember the first two Shrek movies, so I don't quite recall the details of three and four. Those are the best ones. I know, right? (laughs) But there is a constant theme of Shrek and the gang moving through different environments, meeting new people, and then becoming stronger from their experiences of learning about these new people or getting their abilities to join the squad. When Puss in Boots joins in the second movie, then they have more like recon stuff and whatever. It's very appropriate that the more people involved, the more fairy tale essence we have here, the more likely we are to move towards a goal. In the world of motion, everyone from that world sees themselves as existing in that same world, just living very far apart. Whether or not these people were brought from other worlds, connected through this dream, is a little bit more nebulous. In their minds, they would all say that they're from the same world. They might not recognize someone because they come from a land that's very far away. I see how there's obvious large connections to being from a dream world for Geyser and for Tau. And there's the whole shtick of Final Fantasy X, (laughs) this boy has just been a dream the whole time. There's obvious connections for Final Fantasy as well. How does the Siri connect with the concepts here? It's the very act of motion itself. Deep sea creatures are very rarely stagnant in the sense of sessile, unless you're like an invertebrate, in which case that's an entirely different thing. 
at least as far as deep sea sharks go, they're usually slow moving, conserving their energy, but they're constantly moving, constantly hunting slash scavenging. There's a precedent, particularly in a serious culture where they can like travel thousands of miles before like meeting back at certain points in the, in the year. You have to keep moving and experience things just to keep afloat. In terms of settings, despite being above water for the most part and being relatively sunny, it kind of matches a lot of what a series environment is like in terms of being able to encounter other life forms. It's few and far between. It's not very common. Every encounter is interesting in one way or another. It's never going to be the same sort of scenario twice. The vast distances and not really knowing who or what is out there sometimes is probably the strongest connection here. Hopping back into the beginning of the session, we were able to find flowers pretty quickly. I think Pony looked through the submarine periscope and Mm -hmm. found some right away. Tao retrieved them. Was about to eat them outside the submarine. (laughs) (laughs) This one was like, hey, have someone observe you while you do your drugs. (laughs) 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 I didn't really want them to be that hard to find. I wanted to set it up so that they were always kind of close. Even from the first leg of the race, there was those big patches of flowers around the finish line. I think that in my mind that practically any one of those flowers do as well. It's through the vehicle of those flowers that the butterflies collected together on that allowed a way of experiencing the world outside of the dream that it was projected onto. Why a flower being the release of the illusion here? Because of that connection with the butterflies themselves. You would definitely be able to speak to a lot of the different uses of butterflies as symbols and metaphors. For here, butterflies were almost anything a little bit more of a messenger. It was their indication that these flowers were something special. That's why I described the scent of the world when you were observing it from outside, floral scent, but constant in this world that could be changing on the fly. Butterflies are very traditional psychopomp to connect particularly the dead and the living, also the gods and mortals. I love Persona. (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason they fucking chose a butterfly to be Philemon's manifestation, you know. (laughs) Especially as a messenger that fits the role. A messenger of, I don't want to say a god, symbolizing the origin of that world, but not not one that's directly like in control of it. In Smog's loose sense of the word god, probably. Yes. Yeah. We've talked about before. Smog sees the spiritual in many things, so <laughs> that's difficult to... Yeah. It makes it very interesting to have Smog and Tau both be connected to this world. It begs the question to me of what their history here might have been because obviously it cements them as a part of this world but i wonder if there's any list of events or others they've encountered yeah we weren't quite sure what was gonna go on at first we were like let's just play it very loose with whatever we'll adapt as we go along at this point i think especially considering the dreamlike quality of the world plus it makes sense that it's possibly incorporating outside forces tau could have possibly always been here somehow. That's how their version of The Connected works. Smog explicitly came here from another time. There's already weird time dilation going on with travel between worlds. There's also weird time dilation things that happen in dreams. The concept of Smog being The Connected is that he stays in these locations for years. Yeah. I wonder if that was like not necessarily years that other characters in the same world felt, even. Yeah, years for smog in that world might be different for years of, let's say, any of the other racers, for that matter. Patrick and Orthan, like, mm-hmm. what was going on with them during that time? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> the racers start to line up. They're waking up, getting ready for the next leg of the journey. And Tao is tripping balls in the sub. <laughs> Tao is opening their mind while everyone else is getting ready for the race. <laughs> <laughs> I love how explicitly that Tao can see and know that the sub and its interior are real, but then looking out the window, they're granted the grand vision of 
we're in a cave and Pony isn't talking shit about what the hell's going on. Yeah, either it wasn't a mere hallucination or these are very similar hallucinations that we're both having. <laughs> Even seeing like a propeller hit some rock. <laughs> yeah, interacting with the world physically. Tao gets the idea that if we get all the racers to go together and combine the speed into one gust of wind that is generated upon this motion, it might open up the cave. This is where I had another chance of trying to relate motion in this world to being something that can awaken. The gusts of wind seem to have some type of effect regarding the tremors that you all felt below you. And these tremors now that we've seen are the stone giant that was sleeping in the ground, albeit now a little bit more restlessly. <laughs> are these gusts of wind a countercurrent to the activity of the dream, and that's why it starts rustling the sleep giant to wake? It's sort of like falling when you're having a dream. You get to that moment of, say, an impact, and you jolt awake. Like, because of that, I don't know if you all have experienced that or not, but... I've fallen off my bed. <laughs> I've fallen I mean, off my too, bed but... and cracked my skull open on a dresser. <laughs> it doesn't require... Physically. <laughs> but... no, I know what you're talking about, where it's just like... You... You get the sensation of falling and then your eyes jolt open. Yeah, I I had that dream while falling off the bed. Oh, oh. I don't know if that's a dream anymore. <laughs> that <laughs> like, situational awareness. Superliminal <laughs> version of awareness, yeah. And, and maybe it has that effect too, because you all were physically moving in that world while this is going on. The people and their locations in the world stayed consistent. You didn't, like, teleport to a different place when you're outside of a dream. It was just the fact that you're seeing. That has a parallel effect in not only a shocking experience within the dream, but also a physical interaction outside of it while you all are racing. We quickly run into dream physics problem. How do we get everyone to go along with us if we also want to investigate what's happening below us? I thought that was really clever. All of the racers did have a common goal, and they would be very much willing to depart from their current path to go for it. So you just sort of dangle that carrot, I suppose. And once they can buy into that being what they actually are looking for, they'll go off course. I love guys who are just making this fucking Mario Kart track for us. <laughs> it was beautiful. I think we mentioned Koopa Cape at one point during the session. Hell yeah. Calamari Beach. Let's go. I was just immediately like, this is Mario Kart 7. I know this. <laughs> I know this. Oh yeah, I can do well here. <laughs> <laughs> one of my original ideas was for this world to be a stylized version of like a Hot Wheels track. <laughs> where it actually had, had a physical road on it. And also Mario Kart-like. I guess more Mario Kart 8, I suppose. And that definitely had some inspiration from a little bit of outside sources. I ultimately decided against it. I still kind of wanted the aspect of a race, but I thought that something like a cross-country horse race would be a little bit more fitting, especially for a world more connected to Pony. Well, as we go along here, it gets a little less Mario Kart and a little more Redline. what ways in particular evoke that for you it's about the dramatic shift to accelerating to completely different realm of speed yeah asiri was able to give you all quite a boost since you all were in a water environment yes (laughs) yes and since tau was like we all need to go faster we need to encourage them to go faster well, why not literally turn up the pressure by turning up the water pressure? So Sirius is like, you know, I'm the abyss, whatever. Let's make a sweet-ass current through this parting of the Red Sea geyser has crafted for us, and we're just gonna velocity forward. The reason why I changed the environment to a bay was one that you all were doing things that disturbed the dreaming, that caused shifts. But another was that we hadn't really been in an environment like that before, I wanted to explore that a bit. I'm really glad that we were able to use that in a pretty meaningful way. Asiri was able to do some pretty sweet ocean stuff 
to help out the rest of the gang in getting a boost that they needed. I think I've mentioned in the podcast before, but I've been worried the entire time we're just suddenly going to be in the sky and people are going to start falling or something. <laughs> oh, you're so right. <laughs> that would have been a fun one. Maybe maybe if events had been different, I would have thought that the world could have shifted like that. That would have been really tough for some of the other people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're already pushing it, having them run along on the water here. Although I guess... Having them move fast enough, that might be cool that literally they're moving so fast with their gusts of air that they're literally flying across the landscape. Even being in an open space like that wouldn't matter as much. Pony's contribution here, though, it was very good. She was like adamant about doing something, and I was just like, well, nobody else has really played with the car, which is not necessarily just my thing. So she decides to put Psycho Glass directly in the engine. It would sort of reshape the world car submarine to be able to move faster through the water. And also like will it forward because I, I right. used that concept in one of the worlds related to Terra in our original yeah. game. It was like a spaceship that was just being forced forward by will. I do like the continuity <laughs> too. In that previous setting, um it was it was still psychoclass that was what was responsible for that effect. So it's kind of turning the submarine into like a mini version of that spaceship. It's psychoglass all the way down. <laughs> That's like my MacGuffin for. <laughs> I mean, it's a damn good MacGuffin. <laughs> oh, thank you. When in doubt, it could be used quite readily in most situations. Smog has a big think about how the hell do we, do we need to follow the manticore? How do we get people to once I realize we do? And says so like, somebody make butterflies. That's what we need. The series like, <laughs> I got you. Let's make every type of butterfly I've seen in the like month I've been on the surface. And also <laughs> butterfly fish. And also the world court kind of looks like a butterfly. Let's throw a, a, an illusion of that in there too. So we got this massive flock of butterflies following above, slightly in front of our crazy ragtag group on a current with the rest of the racers trying to ke- keep up beside us. I do like how a series sort of threw everything at the wall to see what stuck. She's just like, I haven't seen this butterfly. I'm just going to assume it looks like the world core. But just in case, let's put everything in there. Because somebody's going to want one of those, if nothing else. Maybe that was their wish, just to see a butterfly fish. Honestly, (laughs) that's a good wish. Uh, I wish I could see butterfly fish (laughs) most days of my life. Smog catches glimpse of Patrick and Orthan through the periscope on the sub. And as we start passing the manticore, because we're going at hundreds of miles per hour, a different lone butterfly starts taking shape in front of us. Assyria asks for a net to catch it. Although she doesn't usually condone that sort of behavior. (laughs) And Juice has an idea that Smog is able to understand somehow. (laughs) The Juice could be the net to catch it. It's a very, like, Scooby, Shaggy sort of thing going on there. I was thinking Gimli and, uh, like, Aragorn slash Legolas. Does <laughs> <laughs> Gimli just mumble a lot? I don't remember that. No, 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 no. What I mean by that is, um, the, you have to throw me. Oh, oh, I was thinking of the smog juice thing, not the Assyrian juice thing. <laughs> That's the Wolverine special. I think it's Colossus picks up Wolverine and tosses him like a ball. (laughs) I love it. I thought that was great. The points where it's like in the middle of action where someone decides it's time just to take the most direct route and see if that works. And if if so, that could just finish this real quick and easy. A Siri picks up juice by like an ocean tendril of water and just yeets them across (laughs) the sky. Like a beautiful little flower. And the parabola aims true. However, as Pony so eloquently remarks, it's always just out of reach. Juice fails to collect the butterfly query. I did feel bad. (laughs) Because in theory, it should work. You're seeing it a fixed distance ahead of you. You should throw something and be able to get it there. But the butterfly is just, it's staying out of range of whoever's moving the fastest. Whoever's approaching it the closest so the fact that juice gets thrown like that it makes juice now the fastest participant in the race at at that point 
it kind of changes where the butterfly situates itself. All right, here's a question for you, Mr. Physicist. So if the butterfly was, like, ahead of the racers, right? But then, like, four other racers started moving at the same speed in cardinal directions towards it, surrounding it. <laughs> then it goes what? up. <laughs> Could have gone up? <laughs> yeah. All right, what, what if there's a perfect sphere of racers? <laughs> it teleports. It's going to teleport. Well, at that point, the net speed... The total speed, right, summing up all those velocity vectors would be zero. They're all going towards the butterfly. So maybe it wouldn't be there at that point. They would all slam into each other. All just slam into right. each other. The was the concussions we made during the crash. <laughs> what is the most beautiful cartoonish thing that could happen is your answer. <laughs> and then, like, people have, like, their heads like bonked and that's doing like the cartoonish like <laughs> yeah 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 but they're like little butterflies going yeah. around in circles <laughs> See, that's why if they were coming in all cardinal directions it would go straight up and they would just like stare at it yeah did that like big dust cloud boom sound effect oh <laughs> yeah this is where i at least felt like i had a chance to bring back patrick and orthan after i guess two days real time in game real time i suppose had them be kind of on course like, the map alone, that would not lead you to where you want to go. A little bit of a statement. These things that you're seeking, it's not even that they can just be directly traced. You sometimes need to go off of the path that everyone else is on. And unfortunately for Patrick and Orthan, I guess fortunately, that, that decision was sort of made for them <laughs> early on. They were wandering the past couple of in-game days. Trying to find trying to find where the next leg of the race was, but hopelessly out of luck in doing so. I'm so sad we did not see them in the world of the lost. That would have been the funniest shit so... ever. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. I was heavily considering that because that would have been a cool way of reflecting the player actions. When it came time to it, I it slipped my mind. I it also would have been hard to balance with what was going on in that particular World of the Lost. Like, if they were in the one from Ages, that would be interesting and silly. Yeah. But the one we went to, I can't see how them being there would have been anything but horrific for them. <laughs> I mean, it very much would have. <laughs> I did want to showed that that experience had been a pretty negative consequence on them. Like it, it has been it's not been easy for those two trying to find their way through. If they hadn't encountered you all and if had if they hadn't been on the track unknowingly of where the butterfly was going, who knows? They might never have been like seen by anyone else. I don't know. It's a little heavy. But Look, um I'm jumping head a little bit. Yeah. But they didn't give us their fucking snacks. And you know what Smog did as soon as they came back? He shared his fucking snacks. More the lesson, boys. Yeah. Get your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> that at least makes up some for the provisions that they were definitely running out of. We <laughs> all ran into them. These people packed for like a couple days at most. Because they know that they're going to go to the next campsites. Yeah, they're going to have that canteen to work with. Except not. <laughs> except nope. not. That's what you uh, get. Yeah, Smog really taught them a lesson in sharing the maps <laughs> and the snacks. I, I guess they'll never forget it. <laughs> That's why Smog's the dark. Teaching you hard lessons. <laughs> Coming across as a little standoffish. <laughs> you may switch playbooks, but the playbook never really leaves you. Yeah, you still got all those sweet, <laughs> sweet moves. I didn't want Juice to just like go tumbling away or anything. So, as ridiculous as it was, they were able to land on the little car that Patrick and Orthan were driving in without completely demolishing it, without flattening it and them <laughs> like a pancake. Because I imagine Juice is very heavy. I did miss a little bit here. What exactly did Geyser and Asiri do to counteract all the speed that we built up? One of the main concerns was the fact that as you all move faster, you create disturbances in air. 
that travels with you. It's a passive ability in this world that someone who is writing something or someone who's typically ridden upon can create these effects when they move, which boosts their speed. The collective motion of everyone going all out towards the butterfly in this race created a cyclone, a massive cyclone behind you all. Geyser and a series answer to at least preventing a sort of maelstrom from destroying everyone if they stop was to create a counterstorm that moved you all into this big eye in the middle of it, a, a big opening. All of the wind was circling around. Yeah, Sirius is like, ocean's power storms, this should be easy. And Geyser's like, heck yeah, let's make this all safe for everybody. So with our powers combined, we have controlled the storm for just a little bit. Right. It's not enough to, like, negate it. It was able to create a little bit of a region of safety while you all were finalizing the last parts of it. Meanwhile, Geyser had also identified the lava as a threat, and Tao jumps out of the submarine and uses a cool new move. From the other playbook, where you take on adaptations that match the situation that you're in. Yeah, command deck, where you face an obstacle that you cannot overcome, you take a harm and lose a link to gain abilities to overcome an obstacle. You lose the new abilities once the danger that is causing the obstacles. I loved the way Zach described this because it involves Sammy's wonderful art again with the glitching around Tau, like showing voxels of slightly alternate different versions of Tau that settle into a blue dragon so that they breathe ice breath into the lava to cool it down. Awesome. Real good. Pretty sweet. I kind of love that Zach took that move because that allows Tau to sort of be customized to any situation and this was definitely the first time that that was used and what a use for it download tau invert the colors and then (laughs) (laughs) drop down menu yep (laughs) we're building mods y'all beautiful oh my gosh it's just like the miku things that people have been doing for pokemon miku (laughs) smog did mention that the Zetaflare virus was based on Tau. So I think we're getting glimpses into how stuff like that's possible. Was there a part that Smog also mentioned that part of it was based on Mew? No. Okay. I thought I heard that at one point, but... I don't believe so. Because I wouldn't have mentioned that in passing at that point in the game, but after we realized that this version of Smog and Tau were very familiar with each other, it was like, oh, I know Tau's backstory, so I can use this to help geyser along on her journey so i think those things could have come close to happening but not really okay we're all coming to this climax of the race we come up to a hole in the top of the cave that's like looking into the nighttime sky and as we step into the light pouring through it the illusion disperses and we come to the realization that we are on a moon y'all and again with fucking moons. <laughs> I, I knew it would show up sooner or later, but here we are. This was one that I was kind of going back and forth on, but ultimately I decided it would be kind of cool to have one of the worlds flip this, what's become a trend on its head. And instead of having some kind of orbital body that was related to the events of this somehow, you are instead on or within that orbital body seemed a little bit more interesting a little bit of a change you're not just on some planet and not only are you starting out in a dream you're in a a moon that is orbiting then but i am low-key obsessed with biospheres not being on planets especially smaller bodies fucking fascinates me (laughs) it's also possible that there are other stone giants for example that might be living within this moon it's plenty big enough for them it might be the set of life forms that are here this is half of what i was kind of going for in the world of the lost for this world there is a group of beings that are both enclosed and outside of this world and that is sort of represented by some of these students what are your thoughts 
when first sort of seeing things? I mean, I went right into panic mode because I'm like, I, I mentioned before, oh shit, these people are going to be upset with what happened to their world now and want out immediately. And unfortunately, we are the emissaries of another world that wants to be able to take you out, get you where you want to be. Oh shit, this is the place that has the potential for the biggest problems. And we're coming to it when we already have all of our own issues. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is kind of bringing some of the bigger overarching plot to a head for this world, where it's kind of asking, what is your impact on these places? You've been making some very big changes to each of these worlds that you've been in. How does that affect all of the people living there? Because there's very much a permanence to it. Well, you can never take your actions back. You can only use your compassion and do your best to keep moving forward. So Yeah, you could always just reset the timeline, though. Oh yeah, great idea. I'm sure that will go for well. I'm sure the time validator will love that. (laughs) It'll be so funny if we never see actual Atmos, but Smog fucking uses his ultimate form to transform into it. Ooh. <laughs> I'm the time validator now. How <laughs> are you just like, no, you're not? <laughs> what a fucking look that would be, huh? <laughs> a lot of the onus of responsibility kind of falls back to the people of Chrysalis. Their project, they're going to have to be the ones to explain what happened here. We're just the hired goons, I guess. <laughs> Oh, so you're saying you don't have any agency in this. No, it's not that we don't have agency. Of course, Assyria in particular would do her best to make things as habitable. I don't want to say, like, comfortable or pleasing, because that's not how the Abyss operates, but at least habitable as possible. But as for explanations, Assyria certainly cannot provide them for these people. Smog understands his complicity. He chose to do this twice, at least. So (laughs) He's also been more involved with the people further along in the timeline, he is completely in this. Smog has all of their chips in. As for everyone else, it's hard to say. Yeah. It is interesting thinking of the previous campaign because everything was explicitly digitized, was made a safe training ground for how do you put things together that Tara has decided, well, I have a need and this seemed to work out for us. Let's try it. Yeah. One of the most important parts that you mentioned is a training ground. There's no such aspect of control here. And as you've seen, it's very unpredictable, especially with going to like the world of the lost, for example. <laughs> um, probably the one of the most hazardous environments that you could enter into. There's big flaws in what humanity has done in the lead up to this game. There's complications with their plans. It's really done out of a place of urgency more than anything. So it's not in a very proper test. Oh, Tara, my beloved space pirate captain, sending out raiding parties to do her bidding. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not forget that at least one of the one of the aspects that I wanted to have for Tara is that they're a pirate captain of sorts. A little bit of a different twist on it. It makes me laugh thinking about like the connected multiverse we have here because there's another character who one of their personal big bads was like a space pirate. So it'd be funny to see that character come into this somehow. (laughs) It's like a Samus-like character, but Samus by way of Doctor Who, in that there were a bunch of different versions, Uh and she was like the scrapped prototype before they actually started having real versions. Oh. Oh, I see. Yeah. God, that character was so cool. Yeah, I bet that character would have some really interesting interactions with humans on Sequence Track. Now that I think about it, like, obviously, also the discarded, of course, there are lots of similarities with Terra. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is what Terra started out as. So it, it does have a, a pretty big place here. Anyway, <laughs> see this fucking stone giant. <laughs> we have our bionicle moment at hey. long last. <laughs> There's also been other bionicles. The biggest bionicle moment. <laughs> For the storyline for Bionicle, after like roughly, what, like seven years in or so, it's basically revealed that everyone's been living on and primarily within a giant robot. Their quote-unquote universe was actually a being unto itself that had a physical form, but was shut down. How have you not played Xenoblade? I have watched Xenoblade. (laughs) 
<laughs> the first one all the way through. And yes, that is also <laughs> is a very good. It's like that times two. Although I guess in Bionicle, I think the essences of organic life and mechanical life are fused together. For here, I thought it would be kind of cool where this world is originated by not a god traditionally, but an entity that was simply drained. And its dream provided a world that others lived in. It's not like it was a real creation. It was, in fact, an illusion. And it's not like they really had much control, if any, because individual actions within it could just completely drop that. Their world is in a moon orbiting a gas giant planet. There's a little bit of conversation with Patrick and Orthan here as people are trying to figure out, like talking to the giant, I think a Siri does like a whale scream at it, yes? Yeah, just so that it can hear her. Eventually Orthan talks his head about like, hey, isn't it weird how things were such long distances from each other? And Tao mentions settling into the cabin. That just sets Smog off. He's like, I know what can wake anything up. It's a chocobo quest. <laughs> Always does the trick. If you manage to summon an even bigger, bulkier chocobo. <laughs> yes. A giant chocobo named Lemon. I love you, Lemon. Maybe. <laughs> we have to protect and preserve Lemon and Ash. <laughs> the chocobo does the trick. It does definitely beg the question of where this chocobo originated from. An egg. <laughs> Smog thought there should be an egg, and there was an egg. Yeah, egg. <laughs> Wait, are chocobos like Yoshis where they could just, like, hatch, like, fully fledged? No. This chocobo is exactly five years old. <laughs> the giant wakes up after the que, of course, but why does it have laser vision? It has a double meaning. These giants are often asleep. They don't really spend much time awake or really even having their eyes open. So it's a balancing nature of them that they're really powerful. They survive in a molten or at least a really hot inner part of the moon that they live in, but they don't experience a whole lot visually. It's more so of like a feeling or even more so like in a type of dream space. One of the things that is sort of because of that is any time that they do open their eyes, it's just like an immense release of energy. They're an organism of sorts. They're just really powerful. Yeah, this release of energy and relaxation causes the true world core to appear. And of course, right at this moment, who but our best friends, the governance, arrive to foil us. This is another point where I did feel kind of bad. But this one was planned. I did indirectly give a bit of a warning. And I'm very curious to see if you all picked up on that. People haven't always been communicating when they do their deep dives or whatever, and they feel watched upon. So (laughs) I've been waiting for this to happen in some way, but also had no reason in character to mention anything. Yeah. This actually goes back to the other time that you encountered the governance on this world. Geyser was creating some magic to make people happy and draw a lot of attention, but it was a very bright, singular illusion that was created. The governance that were at least just in that singular harvestman, they thought that that was the world core at the time. They thought that that was one of the things that they were waiting to have revealed into play and so they jumped on it that's why they tried to reach out and grab it this is the culmination of that original plan minus one harvestman (laughs) (laughs) pilots which was to basically wait until the world core travelers you all were to reveal the true world core and then to seize the chance to actually get to it This only serves to fuel my theory that the governance cannot fully world travel in the same way we can. and They are using us to piggyback off of whatever project. (laughs) They're using us. (laughs) We are the ones who have our own world cores. They have nothing. They're hollow. (laughs) Hollowed. (laughs) Fuck them. That earlier encounter, that represented what they were sort of doing at the time, which was setting up a trap in order to 
but at least he's the moment. And I guess that's kind of currently what they're trying to do <laughs> as we left off. Good. So they, they've set up a trap to walk into my counter trap. So I'm very excited for that. <laughs> oh man, now you're playing the prodigy. <laughs> <laughs> Always have been. Oh my gosh, Chad's going to go ultimate form into a giant blue dragon. Are they going to choose the same one? Because unless more of the lava is in play, like, that's technically an obstacle that's been overcome. Yeah. That's fair. Um, now... We did see that there was more stuff topside, though. Right, because as the sort of giants, like, emerge, they open up big cracks in the... There's definitely some lava there, and who knows how the giant's going to react to being blasted by a high kinetic governance projectile. It's okay, <laughs> they will open their eyes and blast the governance back with a high <laughs> kinetic stone golem projectile. <laughs> They will cancel out midair and we're all gonna die. <laughs> oh, okay, good. That's the best outcome, I guess. Mutually assured destruction. Great. Love it. What would he all done differently? I really did try to make things not confusing, but I don't think I ultimately succeeded in that. There was a lot happening pretty quickly. All of it was objectively a little strange. It was a tight line to try to walk. If I were to do it differently, maybe I would have planned for some scenarios ahead of time. I've got nothing this time. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat there. This wasn't a series world, and it wasn't a series time to do anything spectacular, so I can't think of anything else to do. Oh, you did some pretty... You, you both did some pretty spectacular stuff. Yeah, I got to do fun stuff. I got to set up yeah. other things for other people. Let's get into the resolution phase, the segment of the show where we each get to say something about the game with no responses. What is your final say on this session, Daniel? I think after this, there's technically one world left. It's starting to come down to it. Looking forward to how it goes. Are there any plugs that I have? Oh, Sammy! Yes. (laughs) (laughs) South Scrimshaw. It is a game on Steam called South Scrimshaw. It is a, it's kind of a visual novel. It doesn't really have gameplay. It's more of a story that you read. But this person has done sound. I think some of it was AI voice and illustrated this story that is based around observation notes and information regarding this whale species on a different planet that seems to have a mutual relationship with plant life and becomes like wholly ingrained with it and just kind of seeing how this whale's life cycle progresses from its birth to different stages in its life very very fascinating the atmosphere is tremendous the tone of it really really good the reason why I also want to mention it here is because we discovered some story elements that are actually very closely related to this campaign. This was very, obviously, very independently done. I didn't have any idea of this. They didn't have any idea of us. But in the creation of this game, there's some really interesting parallels between these stories. They hit on some similar themes, some similar concepts. Their descriptions of a group in that were, and Sammy can also attest, were chilling in how they aligned with our vision of some of the groups in this game. I won't spoil anything or go into too many more details, but did it even cost anything? It is currently free on Steam, and it's currently chapters one through four. The story is not yet complete. I think a new chapter is being aimed to be released in January, so sometime early 2024. But long story short, if you like speculative biology sort of set in a nature documentary visuals novel style with crazy subtextual world building, you'll love it. It only takes you maybe two hours to get through everything, but it's really worth it. The subtextual world building and just the attention to detail in the biological life especially as well stellar check it out it's free i think it's really good i'm kind of looking forward to the next release and for you alex expect some new final fantasy summons next time there are some that i have not drawn out yet that could be very useful in this world 
You can find me on Blue Sky at Shining Crowbat. This week, I recommend Meet Me at the Altar. They are a pop punk band that, you know, just happened to be on the same label as Paramore, who they have a lot of comparisons drawn with. They've kept me afloat writing this week. There are some difficult times concentrating, and they got me back. (laughs) (laughs) And for myself, I think the governance is going to have to put up with a lot coming this next fight, but also at the same time, so are we, so we'll see how that goes. You can find me in a super liminal position. Just give up. This has been Resolve, an afterplay show. You can find us online at most social media sites at Resolve AP. Except Instagram, which is at Resolve Afterplay. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. You can buy the game we're playing, Interstitial, Our Hearts Intertwined, from its creator, Riley Hopkins, at linksmithgames.com. All links will be included in the episode description. Thank you again for listening. We end our turn here, so now it's your turn. Tell us what's happening in your game.